flip. That's what. What's the idea? Well, what's the big idea? What's the big idea? What's the big idea, Egghead? What's the big idea? Welcome back to What's the Big Idea. Today on the show, we have Radha Agarwal. Radha is an incredible social entrepreneur and community builder extraordinaire. She is the founder of Daybreaker, the global morning dance movement that exists in 23 cities across the world. Just imagine thousands of people coming together from 6 to 9 a.m., uh, dancing their faces off to some of the best music with the craziest costumes, the best performers, uh, an experience that everyone deserves to experience. She also just wrote a book called Belong, uh, which one of my favorite stories about this is Boston University just bought 6,000 copies that every one of their incoming freshmen is going to get this book. And it's all about how to build community, create meaningful relationships, and really just be yourself in the world. And, you know, before that, she has produced major pictures. Um, she has started a, a children's organization called Super Sprout. You can almost imagine in Sesame Street for vegetables. So she has done some incredible things. And what I love most about Rada is that she has really taken the time to look back at everything she's created and understand what are the systems that she has embraced that have allowed her to do such powerful things in the world and in her own life. And so this is such a beautiful story that goes from her really being isolated, kind of floating in her late 20s and her 30s, and the step-by-step process that she created to build the community of her dreams, the systems that she has used to uh, not only create an organization, but spaces that just completely liberate people to be themselves. So whether you are trying to uh, build or scale your own community, whether you're an organization leader who wants to create these types of meaningful spaces and events for the people that you care about, people that you work with, uh, you're going to enjoy this episode. So without further ado, Radha Agarwal. Welcome back to What's the Big Idea from the bedroom today because they're doing construction in front of the studio. Uh, Could not be more excited to have this person here, someone who I've admired for so long and have the good fortune of being the brother-in-law of Radha. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Andrew Horn. How's my podcast voice? I honestly, I was gonna say I was I was getting slightly turned on. By it. <laughs> <laughs> I go I go an octave deeper. I know it's really a good radio voice. There's some real enunciation. Yeah, in there. excellent, excellent, beautiful. Um, so, Rada, we're gonna get to your big idea in a moment, but you've done so much incredible stuff in your career. And what I'd like to start with is when someone asks you, "What do you do?" How do you answer that question? Oh, um, I say I'm a an entrepreneur. I guess I'm, I'm a disruptor. I always say that. I disrupt her, um, which is the title of my sister's book. But I, I love saying that I like thinking about um, how to look at problems in the world and solve them. So that's what I do as I solve problems and, and using fun and play and community um, and experience to solve them. When did When did that become a focus of yours? play and experience. And so Rada's the founder of Daybreaker. There's a lot more information about that in the show notes. But when did experience, and you use the word mischief a lot, when did experience become a focal point of yours? I mean, I think it's always been a focal point for me in my life. I mean, growing up in Montreal, Canada with, you know, a twin sister who is your wife, um, you know, she and I, um, my sister, my whole family, we always were the Grand Central Station for 
all of our friends and our community. And I just remember the happiest moments in my life were always when we were creating experiences for others and for each other. So, um, yeah, I kind of lost my way in my 20s and, and sort of pursued, you know, kind of fame and fortune and um, all the things that society tells you to, to focus on. Um, and and then found my way back at 30 when I look myself in the mirror and I realize, oh, shit, I don't belong. Where are my people at? And that was kind of the beginning of that return to, um, you know, what lights me up, what makes me most happy is when I'm, you know, doing three-legged race with my friends um, as an adult what, where I'm, you know, playing ping pong, dancing around and just being, you know, silly. And I think that's um, always been my happy place. And I, I think I'm just returning to that. Well, so that's a beautiful segue into what your big idea is. So as you know, on the show, we like to bring people on to distill a singular idea because you're, you're focused and, and creating beautiful content in so many different arenas. But if you were to focus on the singular idea that you wish more people could integrate into their lives, what would that be? Uh, I think the ultimate big idea that is kind of this a duh kind of big idea, but it's um, it's one that I really believe is the root cause of all of our problems in society, our isolation, our our opioid epidemic, our political polarization, our environmental degradation, our bullying, just all of the things that are messed up in our world are because of this big idea. It's our lack of belonging. Um, it's our loneliness. And so the big idea is when we choose and actively choose to build community, to um, find your people, to get to the exhale of, ah, I'm home, that's the big idea. It's just like, if, if you know, for me, when I realized that that was actually the most important thing and I began focusing on making friends and belonging and, and serving my friends and, and not just canceling on them and flaking or whatever, when I really actively began um, focusing on friendships, that's when everything changed. And, um, you know, I, I, I was drinking too much in my 20s. I was... I just felt like I was sleepwalking through life and all of a sudden in my 30s when I had that realization, I began focusing on showing up, focusing on um, really get, going inward and not, you know, belonging is, is a journey of, of self-exploration as much as it is a journey of finding your people on the outside. So, you know, doing that work of, of who am I, what do I, what lights me up, what, you know, what, what do I value today? I think all of that, um, all of that, um, it kind of realization, recognition, um, and pursuit of of solving that, I guess, weak point in my life got, got me to, wait a minute, belonging is the most important thing that we can feel. Community is what we should spend our time focusing on. And when we do, they're there to um, give you wings to pursue your dreams. And, and I think without, um, without my community, Daybreaker wouldn't exist. Thinks wouldn't exist. I mean, Thinks was... Thanks was launched by a Kickstarter campaign, you know, and we literally asked our community to essentially fund the beginning of the idea. And Daybreaker started with 180 friends who showed up um, because um, they cared about me, you know. And and so in all of these ideas that, that you know, that we started um, sort of stemmed down to um, – to friendships and, and, and investing in them, um, 
and that's it. And so to, to break this down, because I feel like you chose the word belonging for a reason. And so if you were def- to define belonging, it's, it's deeper than community, than connection and friendship. What, what do you mean when you use the word belonging? Sure. So belonging is the feeling, right? Community is the space, right? So community is, and people always use the word community today, particularly in, and I really believe that community is a space in which you feel a sense of belonging. So mm. belonging is... Say that Say that one more time because I think it's a beautiful distinction. So community is a space, is, is sort of a space in which you gather with friends and, and you feel a sense of belonging. Belonging is a feeling. Community is a space. That's great. Right? So, so belonging um, is that feeling of... I can be fully myself. I, I can get upset sometimes. I can laugh all the time. I can be silly. I can be funny. I can I can let my hair down um, without judgment, and I feel seen for all sides of me. I don't have to pretend. And um, and yeah, it's it's a space which where we forgive easily. It's a feeling of yeah, it's just of deep safety. Yeah, and so what was the you talked about kind of sleepwalking through life in your 20s and drinking too much and so much but if you were to distill the moment when you recognize not just that you were lacking a community but that this was something that was so important to kind of bring to the world the idea of belonging as this fundamental thing to solve so many kind of systemic issues what was the moment when you realized that this was really a calling of yours or something that you were going to commit so much of your your life force to I mean, so, so, you know, I think it was like looking myself in the mirror, I was turning 30 um, and just feeling like I, I just was like, where are my people at? <laughs> you know, and, and I have my twin sister, I have, you know, friends scattered around the world, but, you know, friendships, a feeling of belonging actually is, is it's important, like pr- proximity is actually very important um, to feel a sense of belonging. And we forget that in our freelance, our quest for a freelance life, um, living in Bali and traveling the world that it can be lonely too. And that actually joining a team and being part of a team, um, fulfills so much of that loneliness and that need and that we, um, the grass is often always greener, but ultimately when we're working at a computer by ourselves all day, it just doesn't always, um, uh, sort of give you that, that exhale of I'm home. So for me it was, yeah, it was just kind of realizing, um, that, I'm, I'm, I would, I just feel more, most lit up when I'm around other people. Maybe it's cause I'm a twin, yeah. maybe because I was, I had a womb mate, you know? Um, and that's all I know. But I just, I just, I, I, I realized it was a calling when, um, when I threw our first daybreaker actually, for example, as a social experiment and I realized it felt really okay. good. So for people, take us through the actual story of what happened and how that came together and the energy of what was going on before it happened because now daybreakers in what 20 countries 26 cities. 20 26 countries cities cities. Tw- cities uh with hundreds sometimes thousands of people coming together from 6 to 9 a.m in the morning dressed in the most ridiculous outfits the most incredible performers but before this first one what was the idea in your head and what was going on before you knew what this was going to become why'd you do it yeah so um my 
my good friend Matt and I, we were just sitting um, after we, so both of us invested in a nightclub called the Verboten in Brooklyn. And we were, <laughs> it was like one of those, I'm a club owner, meet me at my club, let's go sit VIP and skip the line. And there was just something, you know, it's such a New York thing to feel, just to feel cool owning a club and, and or being a, a partner in a club. And I, I you know, I, I love taking our friends there. I loved going there. It was so much fun. But as I would look out on the dance floor, it was just literally zombie land. And it was people were on some new designer drug. It was just like a very kind of um, uh, predatory space where I would just watch guys go. Any girl who was like dancing a little bit more expressively would be um, would be um, sort of having to deal with some dude trying to kind of slime. into her space yeah. yeah and and so i just was i just was looking around and i just asked myself like is this what i is this cool like what is cool anymore you know and and is this cool and here i am at the number one nightclub in the world like it was named the number one nightclub in the world in new york city the belly button in the world and i was like this is it this can't be it um and then you know this was a couple of years also going into burning man going to burning man and um you know, I remember the feeling of first my childhood, but then at Burning Man riding out into um, the early morning at this art car called Robot Heart. And um, and I didn't know what it was. I didn't know, you know, where I was going. I just remember it was the first time I'd ever gone out by myself, um, left my friends. There was just five of us that first year in an RV sleeping. And I rode out by myself to Robot Heart. And um, I, I'll never forget dancing. It was like four thirty-five. like Dawn was right there and I closed my eyes sober and just got into my body for the very first time. Wow, and, and, and I just, I just, I think I actually cried too. of just like, wow, like I had been judging myself for so many years about how I look when I'm dancing, who's watching me oh, or judging, you know, friends about how they danced and like realizing that what is a good dancer anyway? And what, when someone says, yeah, I'm a professional dancer, I'm a dancer, you know, or I'm, or I'm not a dancer. You know, it's, I found that to be, it's like saying I'm not a writer. Like everyone is a writer, you know, and everyone is a dancer. And so I, for the first time I felt like I was a dancer and I felt free in my body. I felt free mm. to express myself. I felt all this sort of years of judgment kind of um, melt off my body. And that was also a, that moment of just like, why is this type of feeling why does feeling only exist at um, in these festival ex- environments? Like, why can't they exist in our everyday life in the cities where we live? And um, so, yeah. So that night, you know, coming back to Verboten, three a.m., I was having falafels with my my buddy Matt, and we just got to talking about, you know, sort of what 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 could be, how could we sort of shape shift, and what could we do? What, what social experiment can we try to? Um, to just see if if that Burning Man vibe, the the you know, could be could be brought to New York, and so, um, um, so yeah, so we spent a few months planning, and actually, this is really critical to share. Um, but we actually wrote down in a spreadsheet, an Excel spreadsheet, three hundred names. I don't know if I told you the story. I don't know if I um, and every single name that we put down in this Excel spreadsheet was a debate. 
with Matt and I. This person's <laughs> going to be a naysayer. No, this person's going to be awesome and totally going to see the dance floor. This person's going to, you know, bring just like chill energy and sweetness. This person's going to say, oh, this person's going to be a negative Nelly. No way. Not that person. You know, yeah. and we literally spent probably a day and a half over two nights, two evenings, um, debating on who the 300 people would be. And, and I think that intention of just like, um, and some people are like, I don't even know 300 people. Right. But like, I, you know, I, we had spent 10 years throwing parties just for fun. So that's another thing also is that people always say it takes, you know, like, oh wow, it was, it was like crazy. It just happened. But it takes 10 years to be an overnight success. Right. So totally. we'd been throwing parties forever. So we had 300 names to even write down and, and, and more to be able to say, no, they're not the right energy. And I think that intention, that focus, and it could have been 30, that curation. It, it could have been 30 people. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's it could have been 30. 30 could have yeah. been 10. Yeah. Exactly. But it doesn't matter. It's like the people that you, invite to your first anything has to have the vibe that can ripple out right that can then um that can then really create the experience that you imagined and i think some people are just like yeah anyone as many people can get here and let me just throw it out as many here's the link to anyone can come it it needs to have even as inclusive as daybreaker is there there are guardrails right there are the the guardrail of it is it's it's, it's a sober experience it's in the morning so it's it's really a, a douchebag filter but but ultimately you know the first event that we threw was friends and friends getting out of bed on the first day of snowfall in in New York City with lots of other things to do and 180 of them out of 300 so two thirds of them um, woke up as a taking a chance on me and Matt and taking a chance on this idea and paid $25 for tickets. They didn't ask for comps. Like this is weird. I don't, you know, I don't know what it is. Give me a ticket for free. They all were there to support the idea in the same way that you support a Kickstarter campaign. They were there to support with $25 purchases. And and with, with that money that we cobbled together, we were able to rent the venue, hire the DJs, get wow moments and performers and, and all that. And make it, make tote bags and print all these things. And, all of it is co-created, right? So, so um, that's the the genesis of it is is just, you know, sort of this this wild idea. Um, um, and well, then, I would say that you even it wasn't even a wild idea; it was a wild feeling. Yes, that's exactly what it was. It was a feeling that so we wanted to recreate. Like, and I think that that's so important now that you make the distinction again. Of there's a space, and then belonging is a, a feeling. feeling. And almost it's like, and I get goosebumps even talking about it. But it's like when you were there by yourself. And for me, it was at like five rhythms of Daniela just doing it at a house where it was the first time that I ever really danced, like fully let myself go. And it was like a psychedelic state. Right. You know, and it was it was wild. And I right. never experienced that before. And it was just like, again, you while you were there, you had a feeling. Right. And you were like, wait a second, what is this? That's right. That's right. And, and you know, people who watch our Daybreaker videos online and they're like, oh, yeah, I, I see the videos, but I've never been it's like it's like going it's I mean, it's like you can't even explain it like when you go to daybreaker it's the feeling it's the energy it's the electricity in the room that obviously can't be recreated in a film you just have to be there um so when people look at our videos and say oh you know i've i've been to day parties or whatever but they're usually drinking day parties or there's it's just a very or they're usually you know in the afternoon or whatever it's the first thing in the morning the energy is unlike any other and i always say you have to experience it to feel it. You can't just look at a video. Yeah. it's And I think it's a powerful thing because we're going to get more strategic and tactical about how to actually create these types of containers where people can feel a certain way. But just the idea that if you are bringing people 
together, whether that is like a dinner party or whether that's a massive, you know, dance party or, or rave, even in an office environment, whatever it is. But the idea of actually focusing on how do you want people to feel? What is the feeling that you are trying to evoke in other people and in yourself and building back from that place that makes that available? And I think that's actually how we were able to grow to you know half a million community members in, in five years without spending a dollar in marketing is because we think about that feeling and actually got very scientific about it. So as you know, I was doing my research on the science of dance, science of happiness, I discovered this word dose and that when you think of dose, you think of drugs and you think of, we you know Molly or whatever. Yeah. Um, but, but I was, I realized that, wait a minute, if we can, this is the aha moment that dose is your, actually your quartet of happy brain chemicals. It's your dopamine, your oxytocin, your serotonin and your endorphins. Say one more time. So, so dose stands for, and it's an acronym, um, for it's dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin and endorphins. These are the four happy brain chemicals. Um, do you, actually, do you know them well enough? Can you break them down? Absolutely. Of course, what, absolutely. what they do, yeah, sure, of course. So, so, um, so dopamine is a pleasure reward um, receptor, mm. and essentially, what, um, what it, what sort of how you, um, how we get that at Daybreaker is that you set your alarm, right? You wake up in the morning. It's the dopamine rush of, oh my gosh, I'm waking up at four a.m. My alarm went off. It's dark outside, putting glitter on my face. This is crazy. Um, the dopamine you also get, of course, um, listening to music. It's a really, really great dopamine enhancer. So those who put ear, you know, their earbuds in and listen to music all day, it's, it's a wonderful dopamine um, enhancer. The oxytocin um, is what they call the intimacy hormone. And so it's the touch. And humans, you know, we cannot survive or thrive without touch. And um, yet we are so physically starved. So oxytocin is you get a hugging. We have a hugging committee at the, at the front of Daybreaker instead of a, a mean bouncer. And um, every single person <laughs> consensually, of course, receives a hug. And, um, and I can't tell you how many hundreds, maybe even thousands of people have either come up to me crying at, after Daybreaker has sent me messages to say how much that hug meant to them and how they can't remember the last time they were hugged. Um, and, and we forget that, you know, in our litigious society, how freaking important it is to hug our friends, hug our, our colleagues, hug our parents, hug our neighbors, just whoever, you know? Um, and so that's the oxytocin, the serotonin you get from feeling a sense of this is bigger than me. You know, we live in such a me, me, me society now, which is why we're so alone and isolated because we're taking, we're too busy taking selfies. Um, instead of asking ourselves, how can we serve the community at large? And when we're in service of others, the serotonin dump happens. We feel a sense of, wow, I'm part of this larger collective. This is so exciting. This is so, I feel a sense of belonging, right? Serotonin you also get from being outside. Um, serotonin is also gut health. So if, if you're giving your body good um, sort of nutrients and, and, and um, uh, things that are good for your gut, that also is a release of serotonin. The yeah. endorphins is, is a, um, so the E in dose is, uh, what they call the um, the sweat hormone. So it's what you get the runner's high. They call it. You know when you get high from running. Yeah. Um, that's the endorphins that you get from from working out, sweating every day. And of course, a daybreaker you burn upwards of five hundred calories to maybe even thousand if you dance like me. And you actually <laughs> think about this in the planning of like exactly. Which mom, yeah. Which and that's the feeling what? piece, right? Like imagine if every single experience designer, every single event planner every single office manager, every single household parent, every single, anyone that there's people gathering in this space thought about dose. Totally. How that would shift every one of our experiences. Like if I went to a Lady Gaga concert 
and Lady Gaga didn't just think about her managers at Live Nation didn't think about how many tickets I can sell and fill the stadiums, but thought about how can all fifty thousand people in this space walk out of here releasing their entire dose. And typically you'll get the dopamine. Typically you'll get the oxytocin. You might get um, some of the indoor, you know, some of the, but you'll, you're going to miss one of them because um, you're often alone together at a concert, for example, right? So, but what if, what if every single experienced designer thought about that? Like, how would that change our world? Totally. You know? And it's, and it's, again, you know, this probably speaks to some of the more systemic issues that you talked about, about how we lack belonging today. But uh, people are starved for these experiences offline. And it's like where we are spending so much more of our time virtually, of, like you just said, freelancing, not actually around people on a day-to-day basis. And so what's been your experience of just that as you spent more time with the book, with Daybreaker, of just the epidemic of, of loneliness and not belonging? Yeah, I mean, a couple stats for you. Like one in four Americans are socially isolated, have zero friends to confide in, and this number has tripled in the last 30 years. Uh, One in three Americans above the age of 65 is socially isolated. That number increases to one in two above the age of 85. Um, So, and you know, it turns out that, you you know these stats as well, but having weak social ties is as harmful to your physical health as being an alcoholic, and twice as harmful as obesity. And and we, you know, we are... um, we are solving, trying to fix these problems with, with, with you know, SSRI, you know, just all kinds of drugs and over-the-counter this and that for depression and anxiety. We're, we're trying to deal with, you know, our environmental degradation by doing all this other stuff. But if we just focused on belonging, we, we wouldn't need the drugs to make us feel happier. We would feel that happiness in community, right? We wouldn't, we would feel connected to the planet where we wouldn't thoughtlessly be, you know, um, using plastic bottles and clamshells for every takeout dinner that we would actually ask ourselves, should I bring a Tupperware to the restaurant, you know, to, to fill up with food and take it back home with me? Um, you know, we are just, the more, the more alone we are, the less we give a shit about the planet. And, um, and I mean, look at our president, <laughs> you know, he clearly had some struggles when he was growing up. He probably didn't belong when he grew up. And this is why we're, we have a country where, you know, there isn't, um, that sort of level of empathy there because because our leadership has you no know, didn't feel a sense of belonging. And I have a lot of compassion um, for 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 him and our and our leaders because um, if they were nurtured and were given the love that they have every single child, every single human deserves, we would all lead with love, you know. And so, where where did we go wrong? in terms of not providing people with these fundamental connections? Like, is there anything that happened where we shifted? Yeah, so how do we get here? Yeah, well, so, um, you know, America and our capitalism, right? Like, we actually reward rugged individualism, right? We reward going against the grain. We we, we reward disruption, and I call myself a disruptor, you know? Um, But in that quest for um, sort of rugged individualism, this is my, you know, this is, this is my way or the highway, um, thinking we forget that actually, um, d- belonging is a dance between the me and the we, right? And so when it's just me and which is what all of America folks on, how much money can you retire with? What, you know, how much, how much stuff can you have? How many followers can you get? How many likes do you get? It's all so focused on the individual, um, that when we forget that, that that it's it's about the dance between the two of course we need 
to be ruggedly individual. Of course, we don't want to be living in a sheep sort of style sort of society. We're just following people left and right willy nilly. But there's a missing of and a training of only going for the me and, and very little, very few of us consider the we. Yeah, I love I love the distinction, and it's even you know been proven. Like I love one of my favorite quotes is Warren Buffett, one of the wealthiest men on the planet, and he says, "At the end of at the end of your life, what matters is who do you love, and do they love you back?" And it's there. I think it's a Rolling Stone lyric. What they say, they say that money doesn't buy happiness, but I want to find out for myself. And I feel like so many people are on this individual path, right, of like trying to achieve, trying to get recognition. But that at the end of the day, it really is so many people thinking that when they do this thing, when they have this status, when they have this wealth, when they are perceived a certain way, that they will ultimately like have this kind of belonging. Right. Do you right? feel that sometimes? The need to perform? The need to like sort of achieve that quote unquote success that society says. I certainly, I certainly did for, for a long time. You know, I just, I remember especially being thrust into communities like summit series and, and sandbox and conscious capitalism and well, not conscious capitalism as much because there was much more of an emphasis on, on service there. But the, the idea of what was being celebrated was just the pure achievement and scale. I'm and killing size. it. Everyone's yeah, killing I'm it. Killing it. Yeah. And ultimately <laughs> what I just came back to was like, I, I just did some work with like 20 entrepreneurs yesterday. We talked about how so much of what we do is because we think it will give us the feeling that we're after. It's like, I want this job. I want to have this many followers because it will make me feel a certain right. way. And now I'm just more tapped into, okay, so if I know what the feeling I want is, and you just talked about it again in the very beginning, that you want to feel connected. You want to feel that sense of belonging. And so because I know what that feeling is, I know the things that I can do in the moment that give me that. And so a lot of the things that I'm doing, like, sure, I have like crazy dreams of like getting this podcast to like, you know, 50,000 downloads an episode and stuff that I want to do. But also at the same time, I'm aware that when my actions are just more aligned with who I am and what's important in the moment that I, I just feel good. Right. So like any sort of external achievement is just like icing on the cake. It's just an idea of like, if I can touch more people with this or impact more people, which is again, just a beautiful frame of like the me to we of like am I more passionate about making a million dollars or impacting a million lives? Right. Can I challenge you about something? Sure. Um, so you call yourself sometimes an introvert, right? Um, I think you're a mix of introvert. Actually, we talked about this. But I feel like you are impacting so many people via your podcast, via online kind of um, courses that you're doing, via, you know, sort of... Of course, actually, Junto is in, in, in IRL, so it's really, really great. But I just, I feel personally that I want to spend more time with you. Um, <laughs> and I feel like you spend more time online than you do with me, Eli, and your daughter-in-law, I mean, your, your, your little niece. So can we talk about that for a second? Absolutely. I love that you speak your truth and request what you want. And I also want to spend more time with you and the fam. So okay, we're, we're in agreement. Okay, excellent. Yeah. Um, perfect. Pencil, pencil me in for a weekly hang. Well, that's, <laughs> or, that's why we're doing this right now. As okay, well. great. But also because I love your brain, but I also <laughs> just love you. Um, well, gee, all right. So good. So we got that out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> that was my ultimate ulterior motive for being on this podcast was to, was to on 
air. Ask Andrew. Um, well, to now, hang she, out with now him she's more. in, so followers can check in and say, like, did I actually exactly my, my obligation? Exactly. Well, this is an interesting thing. If we're talking about belonging here, of one of the things that I've recently started to do, and this is actually kind of a beautiful way to introduce this, is I sat with my one of my best friends a couple of weeks ago. We went and we had tacos, and we are so connected. We are not friends. It's really brothers. He's one of my best men. And as we sat there, we both at the end of our time were like, man, I just, I feel like, I know, I feel connected to you, but almost to the point where I didn't need to reach out or make a concerted effort to be with you because we feel so connected and it feels easy to spend time in new or novel places. And what we both said is like, it actually is so important to us because we value these deep, meaningful relationships that we have that we're like, okay, we're going to do at least once a month. That's just us. Right. And we actually scheduled it. And I think that that's so helpful is being intentional as we think about belonging is again, the idea that it is not the, the quantity of your relationships that makes you feel like full. Exactly. It makes you feel connected. It is, the the quality, de- it is, it is the depth. depth of them. And so it's like, even it's like Mickey and I on Sunday now we schedule at least like one night that is a date night. And it's just like this simple you know, 30 second activity of like, what night are you free? And doing that is so simple, but so rewarding. And even having friends of mine where it's like, okay, with the guys who I love most, I make an effort now and I'm starting this of like once a month, I'm going to go and be with just them. And that was also one of the things that just most fundamentally transformed my life is when I just was at a stage where I was like, what, what's my, one of my priorities this year? I think I was probably like 27. And I was like, you know what? I really want to focus on really deep, meaningful male relationships. I was like, that's something that I really want to focus on. And so I would take guys who I really loved or wanted to know better to the Turkish bath in New York, this dry sauna. And it would be two hours, no phones, just the two of us. And I could go there with a guy and spend two hours and we'd have such quality time and just like focus present conversation that I could not talk to them necessarily for like another month, but still feel really connected. So in this moment, I will say that we will make a schedule for, what are we at? Are we going to do maybe like every other? Every other week, fine. And every other week, solo. Solo. Yeah. Yes. Maybe maybe Lole can Okay, great. Yeah, Lole can come too. Yeah, for sure. And maybe Eli and Mickey can do their own one-on-one time too. Well, so that's that's a strategy there. And so you've talked about DOS, which I think is so powerful as a framework for people who are organizers. But I think that like you just talked about is being 30 and realizing that you did not have your people and for people who are like, okay, I, I get it. Like I should have a community and I want to build that, but they feel like they don't have access to those people. They don't feel like they are capable of contributing to conversations with the type of people they want to surround themselves with. So how does someone start for someone who's like, I'm ready to find my people. That's right. a priority. What do so they do? Step one is first, Um, going in, right? You have to go in to go out, right? So step one is to sit down with yourself with a pot of tea and um, spend a weekend with yourself just kind of going through. I have a bunch of exercises in my book. I wrote a book, Belong, that has about 25 exercises in it that helps you really um, go inside and ask yourselves, what are the qualities I'm looking for in a friend? Um, What are the things that I value today? What am I interested in? Um, What am I interested in? you know, today, you know, what am I good at? What can I bring to my community? There's lots of different questions that, you know, 
you should be asking yourself first before you. I think so many people try to go out too well, quickly go, go to through. find. I'll go. I'll go through it. Yeah. So, yeah. but but I I just want to kind of preface by saying so you know so many people try to go out and grasp into the abyss to find their people without first doing the very important work of asking yourself. Who am I today? You know, so it's uh, first of all, like write down a three column list. Column one, what are the qualities I'm looking for in a friend? Right. Column two, what are the qualities that I don't want in a friend? I don't want negative Nellies, shoulder shruggers. I don't want flakies. I don't want, you know, right. There's so many types of people that you don't want yet. Somehow they're grandfathered in. I love those terms. Um, And then, you know, third most important calling, what are the qualities that I need to embody in order to attract the friends that I want, right? So like, how do I, I need to be less of a workaholic. I love my work. I need to be less flaky. I tend to triple book and, um, you know, I'm doing less of that now or I need to, um, I need to be less judgmental. I need to be better forgiving. I need to, you know, there's a lot of things that I'm working on. And actually, I wrote this book because it's a book that I wanted to read and I, I continue to want to read um, for myself. And so, um, but yeah, but those three column, that that three, the column exercise really changed my life. And then, um, and then doing sort of a, a Venn diagram of like, what are your values well, today? Let's, can we pause on that for a yeah, second? Because sure, sure. I want to spend, so... And what happens when we take the time to, and you oftentimes say like, go in before you go out, right. which I just love that idea. So what happens, what shifts in the way that we're meeting people when we have that kind of internal clarity? So, I mean, everything, right? Like we do this type of audit for the type of work we do, right? But we'll, we'll like ask ourselves, okay, what kind of professional career do I want to have? And we'll do all kinds of a proctology exam, essentially, of like, what is it that I, that I want in my career? We'll do that for a romantic love interest. Right, I need a guy who's tall and this and that who makes money, you know, and and la la la, la likes to travel, and um, but we never do this for our friendship. So just doing this initial um, probe into what are the is kind of like a very revealing exercise, and um, all of a sudden, as you become more intentional, as you write down the qualities you're looking for in a friend, when you go out now to places, it's very quick. You know, it's it's very very easy to quickly see. Um, oh, is this someone that I, I that that aligns with the qualities I'm looking for? Is this someone that doesn't align with qualities? This, this is someone that I want to invest my time in. This is someone that um, that gives me energy, that fills me up with energy, right? That doesn't just deplete me with energy of energy. So um, it just becomes a wonderful way to look at the world without just letting you know the person sitting to your left at, in your cubicle. Um, just because they're there, but are always talking shit or being, you know, negative or or whatever, complaining, um, you become their friend. And of course, their energy seeps into you and you become a complainer, right? So don't just become friends with someone because they're grandfathered in from high school or college. Don't be friends with someone just because they're next to you in a cubicle. Like really be discerning about who you spend your time with because, I mean, the the old adage goes, you're as good as the five close friends you keep, right? Yeah. I think one thing that's really interesting is especially in our personal relationships, I think professional relationships are a little more different where you have just kind of inherent responsibilities to just relate to people. But in your personal relationships, it is kind of the clarity of Rada talks about like you don't need to be friends with specific people that have been grandfathered in. But once you start to actually establish these, they occur for me as like as values, right? As like exactly. relationship values. It's like, here's what is important to me. Here's how I need to be. Right. And so you're so much more capable of evaluating your actions in the moment of like, rather than going in and 
really being driven by the desire to be liked, which is a very human need that we're all kind of working our way away from. But it's really an evaluation of like, does this person align with who I am and what's important to me? And we can evaluate that in the moment and kind of transcend that desire to be liked, to kind of conform our being to what we think other people want us to be. It's like, well, here's who I am. And until we know who we are, so much of our experience is just like trying to fit into what other people like because exactly. we don't know who we are, right? Like it, it's it's kind of fascinating how much of ourselves and how we see ourselves are a result or a reflection of what our parents want of us or what society wants of us or what our boss wants of us as opposed to uh, a deep down reflection of, of or, or introspection of, of what we want, you know? So it's like, you know, today I'm a new parent, so I value... Um, more time with my daughter. I value um, sort of uh, family, right, a lot more now than I did before. I think I took it for granted before. Um, whereas for me now, you know, it's like yesterday we, we went to the movies and my sister, you know, brought an, an initial person who is awesome, but I really asked her in a text, I said, I, this is very important to me that it's one-on-one with just the four of us catching up because I miss you guys and I want to hang out. And that threw me off, you know? So like little things like that, um, you know, valuing, when, when in my 20s, it was just like, or even like in the last couple of years, it was always like, anybody can come, whatever. Whereas I value a lot more now um, sacred time. Totally. And it's and in one of my favorite ideas here is when we are making a decision to explore anything new in our lives, whether that's even like a career or relationships, is the idea that we have to be willing to let go of the relationships that are just okay totally in search of the ones that we really want and so much of kind of our lives are driven by this this idea of like loss aversion is that we value safety like more than we do getting something new that's valuable and so we hold on to relationships that are just okay because a lot of times we struggle to believe that like I'm actually worthy of what I really want. But I think that the more time that we take to identify a lot of these things that you just talked about is like those three verticals. Who am I? What do I want? How do I need to be? Um, the more likely we are to actually just act on that. So, And then also just like this other, the second exercise that I'll give, there's a lot more, but these are just two that I, I want to share that I think are really important to get you started is um, this Venn diagram of like, what do you value? What are your personal core values, what I call it, right? Your personal core values, um, which you just talked about. And then I call it your via, your values, your interests, and your abilities, right? So what are you values, your personal core values today? Um, what are your interests? So like I'm interested in music and dance. I'm interested in, in entrepreneurship. I'm interested in, in adventure and exploration. I'm interested in family and, and, and parenting. I'm interested in food and nutrition. I'm interested in, you know, all these, right? So that's, that's, those are the more tangible things that you can go out and do. Um, and then what are my abilities? And, and when I think of abilities, it's not like I'm a good writer. It's like, what are my abilities as it relates to what, how I can, show up for my community so what am i what am i good at i'm good at cooking uh, my husband is amazing at, at cooking so he's his, his excellent ability to bring people together right i'm really good my ability is i am a really great host i i love decorating so i decorated my house to be very host friendly so i always have people over um i'm always designing theme ideas and things like that so that's what I'm, are you, but then it can be simple as are you good at taking out the trash are you good at are you good at um you know sending emails out are you good at um, whatever, like renting a house on Airbnb for all your friends, like, which is what you're good at, Andrew. Um, you know, and I think, and I just think that 
I mean, you're obviously good at a lot more stuff than that, but I, but I mean, I think I'm, it's like, I'm really good at finding dope you're houses. You're really good at finding dope houses. And, and I just think that, um, you know, how can we serve our community? Like, you know, my friend, our friends, Brooke, um, always brings like little tea candles to like everywhere she goes because she's like, uh, the like overhead lighting is vibe, awful. Vibe patrol. Vibe patrol. Exactly. And then our friend Victorian always brings instruments wherever he goes because he knows that it's a one fun way to unify everybody and, and get everybody playing stuff. So it's just, you know, how, what, what are you good at that you can bring to your community? Um, that feels easy for you. That feels like it energizes you. That feels like it lights you up. And I think, taking the time to write that down all of a sudden, um, you know, will clarify how you can create your own community. Well, you know, what's interesting. It's as you talk about that, which I love the frame of via, which is values, interest and abilities. Just like, again, like a fundamental sense of who we are so that our behaviors are, there's something called the identity model of change. And it basically posits that as humans we do the types of things that align with who we think we are and so like these exercises that you give people it's fundamentally kind of grounding them in a sense of who they are so that subconsciously which is again most of our actions driven by subconscious unconscious feelings impulses and so when we take the time to articulate that stuff our actions are just going to align with that you know more consistently which is really cool that's great. That's exactly right. I love it. Um, and I and I think also, you know, there is a world in which we assign labels for ourselves that aren't all often helpful. Yeah. So you know, lots of people say, you know, I, um, I don't know that um, I'm not a dancer, or I'm not, you know, or I'm not a social person, or, or we I'm can not- we can talk about the one that you and I argue <laughs> on all the time, yeah. <laughs> which is so I consider myself an introvert. And then every time I say that, Rod is like, no, you are fucking not. I mean, we're on this podcast right now. You're like talking to like, you want 50,000 downloads. Like you want an audience, like you love people and you're filled up by the idea of serving people. And I understand the introvert sort of definition is one that is you're filled up with energy when you're alone versus an extrovert who's filled up when you're around people. But I feel like you are energized by creating and being energized energizing for others and i think that there's there's a there's a there's a it's not like you just like reading books by well, yourself so, do you know what a, i mean like here's, here's, that to me is an introvert like you is, are inherently yeah. interested in public speaking and coaching and leading men's retreats for like dozens of men and you tell me you're introverted like you know what i mean like it like clearly lights you up to be social and, and to i be and i love to, i right? love where i think rada is coming from which is that again it's that when we have these labels when we label ourselves that again we just talked about identity right we do the types of things that align with who we think we are so if we accept a label like introvert um then how does that subconsciously impact how we exactly. act in the world but what i would say to that also is that i had a, a mentor early in my career when i was running dreams for kids and he said, so again, like you just talked about, so the, the idea of introvert, extrovert has nothing to do with how much you like people. It has everything to do with where you draw your energy and where you get energized. And so where I, I love this time, it's so deeply rewarding and connected and challenging for my mind to like think through this and synthesize the information. But in terms of where I'm, where I recharge and where I draw my energy, I love being around people. And I also understand that I enjoy personally these more intimate one-on-one or like tonight, Mickey and I are going on a double date. It's that I, the same way that I brought guys to the sauna is that 
like you're not just extroverted because you exist in a party scenario, like extroversion is just being with people. So whether you like being with one person or a lot of people, you know, it's completely up for you to decide for yourself. And so where I love being with people, especially people I admire, like I walked to coffee shop with our new friend Ian today and like that is so rich and rewarding for me, but still where I feel like I draw my energy to like be all of myself. So much of it is in this deep, introspective time but i will also say that again the idea of acknowledging that we're all ambiverts which is you know again like both i call it metavert yeah metavert yeah and like the idea that we can go to both because i certainly can and so i think that even there like the idea that's of- the thing it's just like why why label ourselves and say oh i, I want to be alone when when some days you want to be alone some days i get the most recharged by myself i get I want to sit in a bath. I want to read a book. I listen to music and just relax. Yeah. And then many days I want to be around people as well. And it's, it, I think it's, it's very um, limiting to just call yourself one thing and not another. So I, I do, I do think there's value in, in sort of helping you understand how you are, how and in, in, in what situation you're happiest. But I also think it's important to challenge ourselves. Um, I think there's room, like, I think exactly, I agree with what you just said, which is that there's room for both yeah. to like try and understand our experience, evaluate it, understand it but also not not necessarily believe our own story right. all the time, right? And just like be real with what what's coming up in the moment. And one last thing that I want to talk about that you just said is, because you, you talked about VIA and the ability to really create our community. And I think that one thing that's so fundamental and I really want to hear your thoughts about is you talked about all of our friends. You talked about Vic bringing instruments. You talked about Eli cooking. You talked about me finding the houses, like bringing people together. Um, and is the idea of contribution, as like a fundamental cornerstone of really building your community. I think that, you know, so often when we think about building community, it's like, I want to go and be with the people who are the most interesting, who are doing the coolest stuff. And it's like, I want to go and extract experience from something I see as valuable or interesting or exciting. But I think so much of what you talk about and what you make available for people is how do they contribute? And so how does that parlay into, because it's, you said create your community. It's like, it's almost like contribute to create your community, right? It's like put something in. That's it. And I think, and I think we, you know, it's so funny. Like so many people I meet, they're like, yeah, I'm the person in my group. That's the one organizing everything for all of our friends. So all my friends will say, Hey, what are we doing this weekend? And we can all take responsibility for, our community's experiences and it takes courage it takes generosity of spirit and and it just starts with realizing that you don't have to be you know sort of have to have a sort of a specific skill to create an experience for your friends you can it could be as simple as i'm going to find us a house in airbnb and i'm going to invite 10 people and see who wants to come or i'm going to you know um i'm going to um, give the example of the mischief makers. Yeah. So, so, you know, at Daybreaker, we have hundreds of mischief makers all over the world. Um, in New York, we have about 60 mischief makers mm. and they are our volunteers for our Daybreaker events. They're the ones who help create the mischief for us in the morning. And what's wild about the mischief makers is that these are young people who, um, who are looking for community, who are looking to um, serve um, a space. And, 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 and they all have jobs in the real world. They all have, um, they're all young professionals, and yet they volunteer their time to be part of this um, experience for Daybreaker because 
um, they're looking for community too. So it's incredible to see now, you know, these 60 mission makers are now all best friends and they met at Daybreaker volunteering to create an experience for others. And I think that's, again, shows that, you know, these, these are young people just out of college to, you know, people in their 60s, 70s who are all volunteering together intergenerationally. So there's no age gap that says that you can start your own community or not. You can be 70 starting your own community. You can be 20 starting your You can be a five-year-old and start your own community, right? So it's just a matter of realizing that um, it's possible and and that um, there are just a few simple tools to, to get started. Yeah, so what do you say to the people who are like, I don't have anything to contribute? Every single person has something to contribute. Are you good at taking out the trash? Are you good at cleaning? Are you good at, um, are you good at listening? I mean, like you literally all, I mean, like this is the number one key to making and keeping friends is, are you a good listener? It's literally that simple. And the best listener have the listeners have the most friends. And so, you know, Eli, when he first came, my husband, when he first came to our community, he was the youngest by many years. I'm, I'm 13 years older than he is. I'm, I'm proud to say. Um, and you know, he was hanging out with at 23 years old with all the people in their mid to late thirties or just, you know, who are doing incredible things. And he was just out of college, you know, working in finance and, and wearing size you know, 42 wearing, suits. And <laughs> he's a 36. <laughs> and, well, actually, he still does. <laughs> <laughs> Leave him alone. Um, <laughs> anyway, and he, you know, for the first year we'd be at dinner with like 12 people all the time and he would be the only only person at the entire table that would just be listening and not saying anything. Like literally the whole dinner, every single person would say stuff and Eli wouldn't. And for a long time I judged him and I was like, why isn't he saying anything? What's going on? Why? And only if, you know, a few years later when I realized he has a lot more friends, like all my friends who are my friends that I introduced him to love him more than they love me at this point. I'm, ki- I'm kidding. But it's like he just he just has been such a sort of um, a slow burn. Like, you know, you don't have to just jump into community and like do everything all at once. You can be there for the first year, even two years, and just be listening and contributing and helping clean up and maybe like cooking some chopping vegetables, or that's, which is what he did. Um, and, but now he's found his voice, he's, he's done enough listening and he's, he's really beginning to do a lot more sharing, a lot more, um, a lot more contribution just from, from like a conversational perspective. And so, you know, I would say like, you know, sort of shift intimidation to, um, to, a, a sort of, um, curiosity. curiosity. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's, I think it's so true. One of my favorite distinctions when we think about listening because when we say listening, it feels like a a response and like kind of like a, something that we are doing kind of like retroactively. I always say that one of the most powerful things to consider when we're meeting new people is to try and understand them. Because if you're trying to understand someone, it just basically invites not only listening, but questions. And like if you're trying to understand someone versus just like listening to the words that are coming out of their mouth, it's like, what do I want to understand about this person, who they are, what do they mean by what they say? It's, it's a really powerful distinction in it. And I remember like, even for me, when I was, you know, just 23 and started my first company and then I got immersed into these communities of entrepreneurs and had so much of the imposter syndrome and the unworthiness of like, who am I to speak to these people who've raised millions of dollars, who, you know, have been this successful, who have had all this impact and I'm just getting started where I feel 
you know, insecure about my ability to contribute value, all these other things. And then what I realized is like, well, there's so much stuff that I actually just want to know as a young entrepreneur. And by asking them questions about their own experience, how they figured things out, like how they figured out what they wanted to do with their life, how they actually figured out how to raise, you know, their first donations and all these other things and just became interested in asking questions that I found a sense of belonging and early on. And then, you know, that led to a whole nother journey of actually learning to find my voice and not just do that. But early on, really being interested in learning from the people around me, understanding is such a, a tangible way to not only grow yourself, but to make other people feel valued. And then at the end of the day, just take out the trash. If you're the person who's cleaning the house at the end of the party, like the people who are there are going to remember you and want you to come back. It's like literally that simple. And um, I, I exactly what you said is, 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 is right on. And um, again, it starts with courage and generosity of spirit. That's it. It's like, are, do you want to be generous with yourself? Because we can be pretty selfish with ourselves, right? And I think if, if we can just be generous with ourselves and realize that um, – that when you are generous with your time and um and 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 it's it's just literally as simple as that um the world opens in your favor yeah and so what other things can we do here we talked about some of the values we talked about understanding kind of what is you're looking for other people how you want to be for people who are getting started here or want to not even necessarily just like how about we've talked about really starting what about people who are looking to deepen who like have friends that are there and they want to take it to the next level how do we do that right so i mean the question is deepen um with individual friends or scale a community at large you know there's multiple ways of thinking about um each of these different kind of um results that you want how do you what do you tell people to do who want to help their community to like up level to scale to scale yeah yeah so um i did i sort of developed this method called the crawl method um for community building and it's essentially um sort of the the kind of the foundation for building any community um starting a community and then scaling it so um it's a it's of course an acronym so crawl stands for defining your constraints um the r stands for defining your rituals um, I'll, I'll, I'll blow through these. They're, they're in my book as well. We're going to list it in the um, show notes too so you can see. Yeah, it. great. So defining your core values and your constraints, defining your rituals, defining your... What is, what is a ritual? So ritual is so critical in, in sustaining a community. So it's everything from, you know, chanting your, your favorite sports team's chants. It's the birthday song, right? It's... Um, daybreaker it's, song. It's Daybreaker's the, anthem at the end, yeah. right? It's um, our intention ceremony that we have the, at the end of every single Daybreaker. It's even getting a hug at the door at Daybreaker. That's a ritual. Starting a meal with um, gratitude. Yeah, it's church. It's, 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 it's dinner. It's breakfast, lunch, and dinner. All of that's a ritual, right? So all of this um, makes us feel a sense of belonging and connection. Um, so, you know, it's so critical for a community to sustain itself to have that ritual, that totem that everyone can kind of get excited to do, that they re recognize it's, um, it's the thing that gives them that feeling, that exhale of I'm home, right? That's the ritual. And I love, there's uh, Priya Parker who wrote The Art of Gathering. She has a, a good distinction of the difference between routine and ritual. And what she would say is that what is the difference between routine and ritual? It's one thing and it's intention. Totally. And so it's like routine is like, I brush wake up every morning, I brush my teeth. That's a routine. And it's like having lunch, like that's a routine. But intentionality would be like, 
I check in and do gratitude before this meal. Right. But even while brushing my teeth, I have this in my book, while brushing your teeth, I can do three gratitudes. Totally. While brushing my teeth and turning a daily routine into a ritual. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. And then just because I want to make it a little little more context. So constraints are like what we don't do is like putting boundaries around people. Right. So they know what what is acceptable. And it's like one of my favorite quotes here is I thought about this at my wedding is that in with limits there is freedom because 100%. if people don't know what is okay or what is expected of them then you can elicit anxiety but the second that as a content creator as a community builder you say like here's what this is then within that space people can go nuts people can be free and like at daybreak our constraints are so clear we're in the morning so if you're not a morning person you might not want to come um, we're also sober. So if you tell yourself you need a drink to have fun, then it wouldn't be for you though. I, I dare say that, you know, it's a, it's an important, um, one to challenge yourself, challenge yourself with. Totally. Um, and then the third is that the, the, our style of music, you know, we don't play dubstep and, and minimal tech house. Like we play how like sort of deep house, soul house, funk house. It's a style of music that may not be for everybody. So, um, it's dance music. Um, so, so like those are our very clear constraints. Like Louis Vuitton's constraint that it's is that it's expensive and it's a heritage brand, right? So, if you're into minimal German design, you might not want to buy a Louis Vuitton handbag, right? So, these are very simple. And if you're not, you know, wealthy and you can't afford a three thousand dollar handbag, you might. That's an obvious constraint as well, right? Totally. So, um, so we got C R. What's A? Yeah, the A is aesthetics, and so so many communities forget the importance of brand building. And they forget the importance of logo design, of color palette, of, of, of just of font choices, of website design, of just all of the collateral that your community is going to see. You know, we spent months and we continue to iterate on our look and feel of Daybreaker. Like our aesthetic is very distinct. Our look and feel and style is 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 um now you know being copied by some of the biggest brands in the world <laughs> um and and i'm just really proud of the fact that a community can have such a distinct brand that you know so many larger brands are are now looking at it as well but i mean if you if you're if you're looking at a nike or like a you know uh um uh, a reebok or whatever these are all very distinct brands why is it that community you know websites look like they're built in 1992 like why are ymca websites so awful why are girls and boys clubs websites so horrible like why why can't we just look at community in the same way that we we look at um products that we're trying to sell and buy right it's it's way more important than that yet we assign absolutely no aesthetic value to it so today especially with instagram and all the filtering and also there's just such an importance placed on aesthetics yeah um and yet so many communities have not caught up to that so aesthetics yeah. are critical right, so for d- building community w and um, the w is defining your why so why are you the person to lead this community hmm. right why are, often people be like i'm gonna lead this community but i'm i'm quiet introverted i don't want to do this thing I, i'm shot you know whatever um you, you know you want to ask yourself well then who can i put in you know that could be an amazing community leader while i'm there to support or you know co-lead um but why are you the person to lead this community why is the community sustainable over time most community builders don't understand that it takes money to build a community it takes money to sustain a community and most people try to sort of it's like you know things with mindfulness and, and the world of spirituality it's there's a very kind of it's so uncomfortable to think of money and spirituality like i have to pay to do an ayahuasca ceremony like what is that right so people don't understand that there is you know what else would i rather sort of spend my energy on which is money anyway 
would it be um, on a Louis Vuitton handbag or is it, would, is it on a life-changing experience like uh, a daybreaker or like an ayahuasca ceremony? And yet there's such a weirdness about um, f- money. So your why is like, why is your community sustainable over time? And, and, and why, and, and, and so what are the financial sort of um, structures in place to keep this community growing and scaling over time? Because often there's no business model for communities and there needs to be. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And then the super important. And then the L for, um, for the crawl method, the final is language. And I think so often when you go to a community website, just go to any brand, um, you know, it's like you go to why, why don't lawyers websites have a much more colloquial friendly way of talking? Why are they all so kind of cold and sterile and awful? Right. Um, they think that by speaking like that, they're more trustworthy, you know, but in the end it actually feels a lot more scary and corporate. So why do we talk to our community in a way that's not human? Why do we write in a way that's not human? So language is so critical. So sitting down and asking yourself, how am I talking to my community members? What is the tone? Like Daybreaker, our emails, I mean, I can't tell you how many people have told me that they, they you know, if they even can't go to Daybreaker that week or that, you know, that month, they'll still open our emails because they're so fun to read. They're so fun. They always learn something new. There's always a fun gif or emoji that makes them smile. There's always something in there that feels intellectually stimulating. Um, and, 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 you know, that's really cool to hear because we have such a distinct voice and we know our community and, and our community sort of vibes so well that the language that we're we're um, using to speak to them is is one that they can really really get excited about. Beautiful. Yeah. So can you just send, can you go through crawl? Yeah. So crawl method: defining your constraints, your rituals, your aesthetic, your why, and your language. Amazing. And so you know, one thing that I we're we're getting up to an hour, and I can hear okay. Soleil crying in the background, yeah. so she probably needs to get on the boob. Um, one thing that I, I love to do on the show is just to acknowledge people who are coming on like why I wanted them to come on. And so I think a great example of why I was so excited to have you on is because of something cool that just happened. Can we talk about the BU thing? Yeah, totally. So Boston, you Rada wrote this book uh, about a year and a half ago now, and she just got a, an inbound request from Boston University who is going to have... 6,000 books delivered to every incoming freshman, which is like, if you think about taking the time to write a book of like every single day, like doing all the illustrations, like everything else. But the idea of people who are stepping into this fundamental state of their life and developing a sense of who they are, what they're going to do in the world, but to have a framework that fundamentally ingrains how important community is and how to do that for themselves, for their businesses, for society is really remarkable. And so to to have done this, which is such a natural extension of you, to take what you experienced growing up and doing three-legged races and trivia and to just naturally express it into the world so beautifully with Daybreaker, which is, again, something that every time I, every time I go, I just respond afterwards and I post on Instagram. And I was like, please go if you haven't like you deserve to go and experience it because it is such a cathartic beautiful expression of humanity and community but then to take all of that and to really acknowledge and I think take responsibility over your place of synthesizing your own lessons and what you've learned what you applied to your own life what you applied to these businesses 
and to really be thoughtful about how to break this down so that people can really learn it and put it into their lives. And it's, it's incredible. And you've done such an amazing job. And that's why things like the BU thing are happening and incredible partnerships and, and so much cool stuff to come. Um, so I'm, I'm really, I'm really freaking proud of you. Thank you, Andrew. I mean, it, it's, it's co-created and, um, it's fun. You know, at the end of the day, it lights me up too. So it's, it's a very much co-created. And uh, like you, you talked again about like the fundamental need for, for this kind of community and connection. And there's an interesting thing I heard recently from, do you know who Johan Hari is? Mm-mm. So Johan Hari is this incredible, I think he might be a sociologist and he's got an amazing Ted talk. And so he, he wrote a book called chasing the scream. And now he has a new one. That's all about the need for community. And he talks about this study that people used to quote all the time about basically kind of like the instincts of mice. And that basically if you put a rat in a cage and he had two food options for like, there was one that was just water and then there was water with cocaine and that if you put any of the cocaine in there, that the rat would just basically go and consume the cocaine water until it killed itself. It would just go back and back and back and back and it would just kill itself. And so people are like, okay, so like cocaine is addictive. And like, if you give this to like a very kind of like basic brain, it's just going to continue to go back to it until it kills itself. And then there were researchers who very recently went back and looked at this study and they were like, well, what were the, what was the environment that the rat existed in? And we're like, well, holy shit, this rat was just in a cage by itself. And so they're like, well, what would happen if we put the rats into a cage with other mice? And so what they did is they created a place called Rat Utopia. And it was this cage that had everything that a rat could ever want in a cage with other mice, with like toys and all these other things. And they did the exact same thing, the dosage of having water and cocaine water. And what they saw is that when the rats had access to community, they actually didn't drink the cocaine water and that it was almost this subconscious thing of like when they didn't have this connection, they would just go back to this thing to find something, some sensation other than loneliness. And it was such a, an interesting thing that when we don't have this fundamental sense of connection that we will do anything to find it or we will numb it, you know, whether that's through alcohol, whether that's through substance abuse, whether that's through being extreme to find belonging somewhere. So, I really do think that it is such a fundamental thing that for people who are in a place of either wanting to deepen or really ready to kind of start over, that this is some of the most important work that any of us will ever do in our lives. And you will never regret the time that you spend investing your energy here. Agree. <laughs> <laughs> right, I love Thank you. you for having me on, Andrew. This where, is really, so really where, awesome. Where can people catch up with what you're going and what are the projects that are most important to you right now that you want to Yeah, so, well, I mean, we just came back from Cuba and we took 70 people to Cuba for our first ever dance immersive travel adventure. So we went deep, talk about deepening friendships. Like you go to Daybreaker for a three-hour experience. This was four days of deep connection, dancing through the streets of Havana, connecting with locals, dancing in monsoon rain, taking dance classes every morning, having these intentional ceremonies. It was just, I mean, it was just unbelievable. And I'm just very excited about continuing to build that arm of Daybreaker is taking people all around the world. Um, So we're going to Tulsa, Oklahoma in the middle of the country in October. We're going to Mexico City in um, 10 days. 
um, for a couple more dance immersives. Um, I'm also excited about um, launching a museum of dance, which is our kind of immersive which is gonna be experience. So good. Yeah, it's um, 2020, spring of 2020. Um, and we are... Um, basically building a uh, an immersive experience where we you know we call it the car wash for your soul where you walk in one way and you dance out the other and it's just a really really cool kind of 100 years of dance history told through the lens of um kind of a broadway style musical where but where the audience is also participating in the show um and dancing their way through the show uh and then lastly um i'm working on um a really fun um life school for the modern day it's called actually you're in it andrew you're teaching gratitude and meaningful conversation which is exactly what you should be teaching um and it's called live it up and we're launching that this fall um we're in beta test right now but essentially it's learning about all kinds of life skills you don't learn in the classroom that's texted to your phone in these like bite-sized video challenges from health to confidence to finances to homemaking to relationships to sex to all of the basics to live a good life yep and then every morning you get a text message with a, a little micro challenge and it's just a wonderful way to start your day from some of the smartest guys in the world from like the ceo of whole foods to dr mark hyman to um, to you know, Julianne Huff from America's Got Talent, like all kinds of incredible people. Um, so I'm just really excited about continuing to expand on on these community opportunities and and bringing people together. And your website is Rada RadaAgrawal.com, and you can follow me on Instagram at love Rada L O V D dot R A D H A. And guys, we'll have all of that in the show notes. But Rada, I love you. Thank love you for you everything you're doing. This was really fun. Yay! I love you too. Signing off.